Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 500, the 500, J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend, the king of peace for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end, talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the I'm enjoying the silence. Am I? Are you? I guess not, because you're listening to a podcast. It's not really silent. Even though this song rules, it's called Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode from the 1990 record Violator. It's also number 342 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adamias. Come on, everybody, let's party tonight. Boom! Dude, we are making our way down. We just hit our three-year anniversary. Thank you to everybody that's uh, listening to the pod. Uh, I love you guys. Uh, Join the Patreon, guys. We need your money. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. And if you pay $5 or more a month, we'll let you comment on every record that we're talking about. And we will read your questions or your statements about the record on the podcast with the guest. So go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to feel like this is your podcast, man. And uh, I don't want to do another podcast. So I'm not giving you something free. I'm already giving you something free. I don't want to do another music one. Should I eat my broccoli? I'm eating broccoli. Can't do it on the air. Join the Patreon, guys. And join the, uh, join my YouTube. Come on, watch the clips. Los Angeles people, I'll be back doing a goddamn comedy jam November 22nd at the World Famous Comedy Store. Uh, Bill Burr, Jeff Garland, Hannah Einbeiner, Jay Farrow. It's going to be nuts. Get tickets at thecomedystore.com. Come on, it's going to sell out. And then in December, 
I will be in Edmonton December 9th through the 12th. I'll be at the Funny Bone in St. Louis December 16th through the 18th. And then, oh, and I mean, and then, New Year's Eve, I'll be in Vancouver uh, at the House of Comedy. Uh, You can get all those tickets at my website, joshadammyers.com. I want to see each and every one of you at the show and follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Boom. All right, Depeche Mode. We love them, right? I do. I think you do too. This is one that people were talking about. This is one I was excited about. I was really excited about being able to dig into this. Like, like I always say every episode, know the hits, don't know the grits. But we got a guest today that knows the ins and outs of the band Depeche Mode, the one and only Scott Ackerman, guys. You know Scott from Mr. Show with Bob and David. We are slowly chipping away and getting all the members of Mr. Show with Bob and David on the podcast. And uh, as we know, Scott Ackerman's got a huge taint. He is also the host of the original Comedy Bang Bang show on IFC. And now, uh, just to let you guys know, he's got something incredible called ComedyBangBangWorld.com where all the visitors can get access, exclusive access, to full back catalog episodes of the hugely popular Comedy Bang Bang podcast and other shows. Uh, Scott is a dude that we've been trying to get on the podcast for a while. And let me tell you guys something. This is the reason I do it. When you get a guest like Scott, this was a lot of fun, man. This was a lot of foon. Um, so dig in because we go all over the place, talk about everything. He was goth. Was he goth? Who knows? Uh, leave us a five-star rating. If you're listening on Apple review, uh, rate us, do all that stuff. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500 podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Welp, here we go with Violator at 342 by Depeche Mode. All right, we've had so many guests from Mr. Show so far on this podcast. Um, but we've never had anybody from the world famous film Taint Misbehaving. <laughs> so wait, you, you didn't have Bob or David? <laughs> we know we haven't had them yet. We haven't oh, had them okay. yet. We've had, right, we've, okay. had, we've had we've had we've had we've had Tom. Karen's a, a good friend of mine. Oh, um we've had Mary. Who else who we had? Uh Adam. We just had somebody. Oh, Brian just was oh, on. Oh, Brian. Oh, what, yeah, what just, record did he do? Brian? What did Brian do again? It was Player, it was something that... No, Metallica. no, no, Dale no. Soul, right? Oh, Dale Soul. Oh, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah, Which was, like, the funniest thing because I was, like, holding off on asking him until we had, like, that, like, right. Black Sabbath or, like, Cannibal Corpse, which Cannibal's not going to be on the list. But <laughs> when we found out he was a hip-hop fan, it blew no, me yeah, away. I, I saw him the other night or two weeks ago or so ago. And I had actually been listening to a ton of like early nineties hip hop. And it yeah. really reminded me of him because when we shared an office together at Mr. Show, that's all we listened to. He introduced me to outcast what? and all sorts of stuff. So it, it, yeah, he, he was really into it. Anytime you'd go over to his house, he would just have, you know, uh, De La playing or tribe or, or something like that. You know, what's funny is like, I could like judging by the cast and I, I don't know all of you, but I can look at every one of you and go, okay, I can assume Scott's into talking heads. I can assume he's into Depeche mode. I can be like, Karen is into yacht rock and like post-punk and stuff like that. You know, the go goes, which he did Mary Lynn, I'd say PJ Harvey. And yeah, that's probably, why we had her. Yeah. And she did do PJ Harvey because she was into it. 
She played, I remember she played Bjork a lot at her one woman show where I first got to know her. God, I have 10 minutes of material. I mean, first of all, I love Bjork, but you know, it's, it's a love hate relationship with I'm obsessed with her. And then also like, she's gotten so far off the tracks yeah. with what she started with, with well, like the sugar with, cubes. Well, yeah, the sugar cubes, but then, you know, her first few records were dance music, you know, now she's yes. so far away from just dance music. Even it's just like all weird orchestra. I don't know. It's, so, it's good, but you know, what's funny. And this is going to bring us back to Depeche mode because I remember early MTV and watching Bjork and having Bjork do the sugar cubes. And that video was so weird. It was literally almost like Mr. Show made the music video. Everybody's in these weird costumes. It's almost like Jeepers Creepers kind of. And there's that kid. Do you remember the song? There was that guy, there's that one part in the song where he's like, oops, didn't happen. I say, ouch, it really hurts. Toodly, doodly, oodly, toodly. And if, uh, if, if it's not in a song, someone should record you doing that and put it into a song. <laughs> Have you seen my stand-up act? That is literally <laughs> 90% of it. But then that also brings me to, I guess this record, which we, which we have to talk about because it's our podcast is one of my earliest memories of watching MTV, which I know, I know it's not right around that time, but I'd say in the same vicinity was seeing, um, was it enjoy the silence? Uh, which is the one that's all I ever wanted. Just cause I know all I'm gonna need is you in my arms. So wait, that's that's not policy truth. That that's is enjoy, that's the, enjoy silence. the silence. Yeah. Okay, I get those two. I was just I singing. Know. I was enjoying myself. Which was phenomenal. Which was phenomenal. Um, but that's that's what I'm saying is that I remember being at my Bubby's house. Actually, I hate to put it like this. She had just passed away. And I remember we were sitting Shiva. And at night I was I would sneak into the, the living room because we didn't have MTV at my house. And I'd watch MTV. And I remember this song was so prevalent. It was all over MTV. I had no idea about this band. I was into like hard rock and metal. But there was something about this. That just it was, I was attracted to, and I don't, I don't. I, it's still like it's continued over the years. Where there's something about Depeche Mode that is inherently mysterious. It's cool. It's different, and it's and it's fucking beautiful. So you tell me, like, how did you get into this? Like, how did you get into this band? Take me to the first moment you yeah. actually even heard them. By the way, Sitting Shiva is like the perfect time to listen to Depeche Mode <laughs> and Mope Rock. Um, I grew up in Southern California, so I started listening to K-Rock probably in 1984 or 1985, somewhere around yeah. there, when they were still pretty experimental. Um, and so I got, uh, I also, in 1984, I went to high school and I um, had a best friend who was two years older than me. And he had a ton of, of records with like, he got me into Oingo Boingo and Big Audio Dynamite and um, Dead Kennedys and the B-52s and all sorts of stuff. So, um, but Depeche Mode was something that he wasn't really into, but they played on K-Rock a lot, right? So you, mm-hmm. you'd hear some of the early stuff on K-Rock a lot. So I didn't, the first record I got from them was Catching Up with Depeche Mode, which was their compilation from like 1986 or something like that. And that had all the early singles. It had Somebody, which I remember some girl in high school 
just talking about how much that song meant to them. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, songs can mean something to, <laughs> yeah, to ladies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. If you like, <laughs> like these songs that are romantic. Um, so I had that, I had that record. And I remember also doing like a lip sync at the local public access station to just can't get enough with my friend, my best friend. I don't mm -hmm. know why, but they, they filmed it that in fun young cannibals, suspicious minds. I remember like I did the backup part on suspicious minds, the, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Jimmy Somerville part from Bronsky beat. So I was like into their singles enough. Yeah. I, I, I liked the early singles, the best just can't get enough or new life. I don't know um, new life, but love. I know just, I know just can't get enough. That's right. cause that's like, that's like perfect pop British post-punk cheese. Well, that's also when Vince Clark was in the band um, who left and started Erasure. But wait, the 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 small forward for the Toronto Raptors. Yes, Vince, of course. Yeah, Vince you know him. Uh, oh wait, that's Vince Carter. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does uh, a, lot. <laughs> a lot of Vinces. Yeah, in music and sports. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I, I sort of it's interesting because I I I really like the early '80s when it comes to keyboard music. Mm -hmm. um, and electronic music, the the keyboard sounds that people were using in the early 80s were kind of rudimentary and cool sounding and mysterious. And then as keyboards got better and better, it started sounding really cluttered to me and really like, um, like K-Rock in the, in the late 80s, everything was loud and, and sounded like, you know, people dropping plates all the time, you know, yeah. it just like every, all the drum sounds were like people, it, it's almost like Metallica's St. Anger record. They're all like people hitting, you know, <laughs> drums with metal, you know, yeah, pipes it's, all, it's, like it's, like, it's like the Slipknot recording where there's a guy with a bat and a keg just like right. hitting that. Yeah. The cardboard yeah. snare sound. Yeah. Everything just sounded like clangy and, and, and Depeche Mode, I kind of started to not really like them and, and actively dislike any time one of their songs would come on K-Rock around the strange love uh, around the late 80s. And so I didn't get the records after that. And I was like, eh, I don't like Depeche Mode anymore. Sure. I'm, I'm not into them. And then this record came out and I, I remember I heard Personal Jesus and I was like, yeah, another Depeche Mode, whatever. And then I heard the acoustic version of Personal Jesus. Um, with just Martin Gore on guitar singing it. And wow. they played that on K-Rock all the time. And I was like, holy shit, like these guys are actual real musicians. And mm -hmm. I started paying attention to the chords more. And that just hooked me. And I was like, God, this is a, a beautiful song. And so, but I still didn't get the record. I was still like, eh, yeah, it's a probably yeah. a one-off. Yeah. I, I, it took me like four or five singles before I was like, God damn, this record is just full of bangers. Like every single yeah. song on it is so good. So I finally got it after that. And it's just, that's what got me back into Depeche Mode. I've gotten all their records since then. I went back and got all the early ones. Just really paying attention to their chord structures and the melodies. They're just so beautiful on this record. So I don't know a lot of their other music besides the hits prior to this and then right. this record now. And then some other, the darker stuff that came up later. 
um because i'm really into like i love uh trip hop and they 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 i'd say they venture into that kind yeah, of especially as in the re- mid 90s they did a lot of remixes that were in trip hop yes yes and they did stuff with underworld too and and i love that and them, I, yeah. lo- I love dark moody music now the stuff i had heard previous from them like i said you keep bringing up uh, i just can't get enough that's something that i'm like i always kind of wrote off i've seen the live performance of it on top of the pops one where they're all dressed like they work at, you know, you know, the geek squad at Best Buy where it's just really <laughs> like they're really well put together and not dark and mysterious like this record. Well, they're also uh, fixing all the all the keyboards like the geek squad would <laughs> during the performance. They're all like, yeah, screwdrivers open and opening the panels up. I just can't get it to restart. I just can't get it to restart. Have you unplugged it and turned it back on? <laughs> Turn it back on again. Wait, I think it's a modem. There's there's something though um, about this that I, I, I find, like I, I've said already, I find extremely attractive. Now, now, how old are you in 1990? Like, what's going on in your life when this came out? So I'm 20, and this came out, I think, at the very end of 90. So I would have, eh, no, no, I would have. Uh, eh, I'm probably in college. I probably went to acting school at this point. Yeah, I probably did like three months of acting school at this point. So I'm. That's the other part of it is I'm in the middle of nowhere in California, which. Uh, Santa Maria, California, which didn't have a, an alternative radio station. Yeah. So they only had a radio station, a local radio station that would play alternative music from midnight to 2 a.m. on Sundays. So to hear any kind of alternative music, I would either have to listen to my own stuff, but to hear new stuff or, or even old stuff that I hadn't heard before, I would have to listen at a very specific time. And I remember anytime I would come back home to Southern California, I remember crossing the 405 or the 101 and that part where where K-Rock would suddenly come into the radio station, you would get the signal suddenly. Yeah. I remember very specifically coming home for Thanksgiving um, of 90, I believe, and suddenly K-Rock came on and Girl You Want by Devo was on there. And I was yeah. just like, oh, fuck yes, thank God. <laughs> like, Finally. I've been having to listen to country music on the radio for, you know, for the past... Yeah. The past six months. <laughs> I thought when you said my, I either listened to like my own, like the, whatever their radio station is or my own stuff. I thought when you said your own stuff, it's like, these are just my covers of the famous oh, yeah. songs that are out right now. <laughs> I couldn't even get recordings. <laughs> I had to record myself doing them. This is me doing love story by the cure. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's real choppy, but I mean, we tried our best. <laughs> I don't know any of the chords. <laughs> Who there? Yes. Welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Uh, um, well, so then, so I mean, well, obviously you're in acting school, which means yeah. 
you're in touch with your emotions. Uh, not really, but <laughs> that was always you know, my problem at acting school. <laughs> but but that's that's the whole thing is that we're present, we're there, we're we're trying to dig deeper. I don't know what material the teacher's giving you. Like, is this record helping you get there? Are you connecting with it on more of like a you know twenty year old? You're still just barely out of the teens. Like like what yeah. are you connecting with? I you know. I don't know that I I even connected necessarily with the lyrics on on this record. In fact, I remember Personal Jesus, I got the lyrics wrong for like five years, I think. I used to think it was Reach Out and Touch Me um, because Reach Out and Touch Faith is such a strange like lyric. Yeah. You don't assume it's going to be Reach Out and Touch Faith. Um, and because I didn't have the actual record for so long, I just, anytime I would sing along, I'd be like, reach out and touch me. Cause that just makes more sense to your brain. Like, yeah, you yeah, yeah. want someone to reach out and touch you, not faith, you know? <laughs> so I, I wasn't even connecting with it on a lyrical level all that much. Um, as much as, as just musically, I remember, um, I remember reading something, I, I think Richard Blade or, or maybe it was in the say anything soundtrack booklet. I can't remember, but they were talking about how. Um, Depeche Mode would get applause in concerts for interesting chord changes. Um, and and so many of the songs on this have such interesting, weird chord structures and chord changes. I was really just uh, attracted to it in terms of vibe and sound and, and musically, really, more than anything. So, so this is completely different than everything they had put out before right this is this is dark like like i said i don't know i mean yeah they okay so their their early career like i said their first record was pretty poppy electronics and and vince clark was was still the main songwriter so um it was very much single oriented and and, yeah. and short two and a half minute three minute pop songs it's kind of like the beatles you know how they started out um and then vince clark leaves the band and and martin gore comes in and he's like really into S&M and weird shit. And, and, um, so he's doing like people are people and, um, master and servant and all that kind of stuff. And so that's when they start to get their kind of like dark S&M vibe going. Um, but was this it overnight? Wait, not to cut you off. Was it, it wasn't like overnight. It wasn't suddenly like one day they're doing the pop stuff and then it's just like, no, they, you know. I mean, their first album still, I mean, it wasn't like super pop. I mean, the, the, cover is you know like still a, a dark cover it's it's like a really weird cover to their first album so i mean they yeah. still had that vibe going but but the songwriting changed and became more kind of haunting and more melodic um and then this record was the first record i know that martin gore who did all the songwriting he didn't bring in completed demos that were like all the parts already done yeah. He came in with these songs just really the the whole band was like could you stop bringing in demos that are almost done and just telling me what to play on them. Um so he brought in songs sometimes they were just on the guitar and sometimes they were just like him singing melodies and stuff like that and the whole band then was able to contribute and um put their own stuff in musically and and so this album to me is like a huge leap in terms of like w sounds that obviously came about because the whole band's involved in the spontaneity involved in the recording mm -hmm. um, as opposed to Martin Gore just like 
finishing something at home and bringing it in and going, here's the album, lads. <laughs> Here you go. Here, I have a little, I have a little doodad about the whole background of this record, which I, you covered just a lot of it with the, with the, all the pre-production. But just so everybody listening knows, this is the seventh album from Depeche Mode and came out in 1990. It's described as synth pop and alternative rock. Before I even get into the rest of it, like, like, we were talking about how the music changed is that is, are there many bands that on their seventh record make a complete, you know, creative change? Yeah. Most bands are done by their seventh record. Yeah. So it's it's like, it's like the idea of being on your seventh record. Like I could see a band like the Beatles or like miles and Radiohead and those guys that every album, they keep just inching and inching closer towards something different. And so you could see the progression from, you know, really starting, I guess, at the bends all the way of how they suddenly got to King of Limbs from that. It's it's weird. Yeah, you know, I mean, you- I remember, yeah, Kid A comes out in uh, Idiotech or Idiotic, however yes. you want to pronounce it, you know, sounds sounds so different than anything on the record. But now when you go back to it, it's like, oh, every single one of their songs and, and Tom York's solo stuff all sounds exactly like all that All sounds song. the same. Uh, Adam just made a good point. Metallica went alternative for their sixth release with Load and then their seventh release. In the release. same week, I think, that, yeah, yeah, that this yeah, yeah, was yeah. released, right? That was a big deal, man, when they cut their hair and, yeah. and they're like, no, dude, like we're, we're normal dudes. We're normal guys now. We're not these long-haired <laughs> rockers just moshing and and writing songs about war and shit. Now well, we're well, also rock. also these these uh, you know bands in the '80s had to put out a record a year, and that was the cycle. You know, it was like yeah. you put out a record and then you tour behind it, and then while you're touring, you're hopefully writing your next one because mm-hmm. at the exact same time the next year you're going to put out another record. And this I, this felt like the first time that Depeche Mode really like just kind of relaxed and said, OK, we're going to wait a little bit. And and I, I know they certainly didn't put out another record for another two or three years after this. This one was so huge. And that started them on like a cycle where now they only put out a record every five years or, or three years or four years or five years. But before that, they were required to kind of just put out product, you know? So, I mean, this is the first time that this really felt like an artistic statement to me in a way. Yeah. Black celebration and, and, you know, music for the masses, they're, they're definitely artistic statements, but this really felt like a giant leap forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. This, this, the next record after this came out in 93 and 101 came out in 89. Uh, that was the so live the, record, yeah. Yeah, so the keyboardist Alan Wilder describes the recording process as we accepted that we all had different roles and not usually all trying to do the same thing. So we ended up with this unwritten agreement in the band where we'd all throw together a few ideas at the beginning of the track. Then Fletch and Mart would go away and they'd come back after we'd work on it for a while to give an option. The album was written and recorded in uh, London, Milan, and Denmark, produced by Flood, a.k.a. Mark Ellis. Not the comedian Mark Ellis. Uh, and, and, and not the Flood, the Flood. And not the Flood, the Flood. There's a lot of them. The, the one that Noah, you know, like rode that big boat on top of. He's the popular one. This is a totally sure. separate Flood, different, much smaller, much more contained. Uh, but Mark Ellis worked with New Order, which which somebody, I'm not going to say who, said that New Order was the worst live band they've ever seen. They they were they were bad one time I saw them. I saw them in 1985 with Echo mm-hmm. and the Bunnymen and uh, Gene God. Loves Jezebel. 
and they were they closed i remember and i was pretty unimpressed and then then lately i saw them maybe four years ago right you know when music was still happening live music and yeah, I remember um, that. and they were great so i mean i think I think like they Bernard Sumner has learned how to kind of pump up a crowd uh, since then. But I remember watching him in 1985 going like everything's programmed. All they do is like press start. And then he just kind of yeah. stands there moping and singing, you know, British British bands are either Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones on stage where they're just thrashing and dancing or they're alt J and they just stand there and do butt cheeks like yeah. nothing. I mean, that's the whole genre of shoegaze is called shoegaze because bands were just sitting there looking at their feet the entire time and creating a vibe. Title. Yeah. I never heard shoegaze. Oh, shoegaze like is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You like shoegaze. There's, there's actually, if you like metal, there's a whole new metal subgenre of shoegaze. That, like metal bands and shoegaze <laughs> are both very weirdly connected. And so I think it's a band called Nothing, I think. Do, I think I've like, heard of them. Yeah, they do like a metal version of shoegaze. It's really it's really interesting. Doc Martin gaze, more likely, right? Yeah, that's yeah, true. Man, yeah, they should have called wearing... it that. Yeah. <laughs> no, Flood, though. Flood is really good. He's... He and and um he did crowd he did a crowded house record that's really good together. Nine Inch alone. Nails, Nine Inch yeah. Nails, U2, Smashing Pumpkins, Ministry, 30 Seconds of Town. You know what's funny? Every single one of these bands I just listed almost sounds like it's kind of like an amalgamation of what this record is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like the dude worked on all those other records later and he's because they all were like, We want that violator sound. Definitely. Yeah, you know? I mean U2, they they really are just you know, kind of uh, clout chasers in a way, you know, so they, if they work with a producer, it's because they've done some other huge record, you know, like they're not out there finding new producers. They're, they're the ones who like, oh, the guy who did, you know, the biggest album in the world, let's just get him, you know? Yeah. It's well, I know a lot of the stuff they did was with, was with Brian Eno, which we did three of his records on, on this podcast so far, which is, which is a lot for Which Brian Eno. Warm Jets. Uh, we did uh, uh, Warm Jets. We did Adam. We look it up, dude, because these were we did them. Um, these, what a range of people I, I actually had on to talk Brian Eno. I did Perry Farrell doing uh, whatever the second one was. No, that was the first one. I can't get, look at them up, Adam, because I forget. We had Perry Farrell from 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 fucking James, James. Addiction. Then we had uh, uh, Jerry Casali from Devo. Oh wow doing another one and then the last one if i'm not mistaken fuck it wasn't john taylor from duran duran he did roxy music oh of there course. was it but we've yeah we've had like a dude which is which is crazy um to be able to like sit down and talk to some dude i still one of my greatest stories from doing this podcast i don't know if i've ever told it but now that it's time enough time has passed when perry did the podcast all he was it was like in the thick of like the night 2019 no, 2020, February 2020. So the election's coming up in November. He's obsessed with, like, he hates Trump. And the whole thing is just talking to him, talking about Trump and just being mad. And I'm just like, don't you want to talk about Brian Eno? <laughs> you know? Yeah, on, yeah. yeah, I was like, come on, man. Let's just, you know, like, you know, what is what does Donald Rumsfeld remind you of this track or whatever? We're talking about Republicans. And afterwards, he would go out to smoke a joint. And I'm smoking a joint with Perry Farrell in his patio. And I say to him, I go, hey, man, how much? uh how much uh like msnbc and cnn are you listening to and he goes all day long and i go dude <laughs> i go dude you gotta get off it man i'm telling you it's it's making you depressed follow the news read the paper in the morning but you can't watch cnn that shit is just there to rile you up and he goes 
thank you so much, Josh. And then he looks deep into my eyes and he goes, do you want to go jump on my trampoline? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. And then we, there's a picture of us, but, oh, but that's wonderful. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is that, is that like, you know, you, you're dealing with these, like with these genius bands, which I mean, a lot of them, especially nine inch nails and smashing pumpkins and ministry and 30 seconds to Mars, which I know came after this record. Um, you know, I, I think, I think without this record, I don't know if you get, uh, pretty hate machine. I don't know if you get like, you know, uh, the darker smashing pumpkin stuff like Ava. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, I, I think at least here on the radio in Los Angeles, opened the door for, you know, the downward spiral, you know? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, pretty hate machine came out around the same time, maybe if not the year before. And, Check that out. and that's where flood, I think sort of made, made, you know, a name for himself a little bit. Um, and so, but, but I remember, you know, it, it, it became socially acceptable, at least here in Southern California, which, you know, was very bright and sunny and, yeah. and the beaches and all that. But, it, but yet there are all these people like me wandering around wearing black <laughs> and trench coats and listening Wait, are you to this goth? type of music. Are you goth? Are you goth? I mean, I love goth. I mean, Bauhaus is like one of my favorite bands. That's no way. The, the last band that I saw live before the pandemic hit. Really? Um, yeah. It's, Where was uh, it? That way? That was at Palladium. It was at the Palladium. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I it wanted was, to go. I wanted to go to that. My friend. I've never been into Bauhaus, but do you ever see the movie? Uh, oh, fuck, Night of the Demons. Night of the Demon. I don't think so. No. It's a shitty 1990s horror movie. There's like me- a lot of titties in it. So my my Is you it know, Night of the that Living was- Return of the Living Dead. No, 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 no. Night, no. Of, the Night of the Demons. Night. There was like five of them, but this was the first one. This is the best one, okay. and it was about. It was like you know. It was a Halloween. Kids go to Hell House. They open up this thing. A spirit comes out and infects this girl, Angela. And then Angela slowly infects everybody else. And then there's two people at the end that basically try to escape. But the part where Angela is like finally the demons inside of her. And there's this other dude that's kind of like into her, I guess. And he's like watching her dance by the fire and they're playing that fucking song by Bauhaus. I think it's called Stigmata. Oh, Stigmata. It's like, yeah, and and it's yeah i i put that on uh i got that record the the bauhaus best of the 1979 to 84 whatever it is yeah. and um put that on i would i would put on records while my mom was working and then she would often come <laughs> home while they were playing and be like what is this and that was one i re- I, I remember her really hating and going I mean, like what are you even listening to and me being very proud of like all right great yeah. so wait so so you're goth you're goth i mean you know like i used to go to knott's berry farm when they had a dance club called studio k and you know no. wear a trench coat and and you know dance around in the fog with with my hands going like this and <laughs> no but, way dude but i never i was never like fully goth like the other people at my high school where like you'd see a lot of girls wearing Susie shirts and wearing yeah. you know the black eye makeup and all that kind of stuff i, I never went that far i was more because i had a lot of eclectic tastes i dressed more like ducky from pretty in pink you know what i mean like i would wear suit jackets and bolo yeah. ties and, and shit oh like my that. god <laughs> um but yeah, I, so I was I was more into you know I, I liked stuff that wasn't goth music, but I also loved goth music. You know, what is it that's so attractive to goth music? And then and then even this record because we won. Would you call this album goth? I wouldn't. You know, Depeche Mode 
is liked by goths, but I wouldn't call it goth, but it definitely is dark and it's very, <laughs> you know, like a lot of the lyrics deal with depression and stuff. So, so yeah, what the hell it's goth, but goth. Um, this is, this is goth. I, it's I think definitely a dark is... wave, you know, which is like, yes, kind it's of a, like, a genre. Whereas like, whereas like, let's say new order is, is new wave where, you yeah. know, bizarre love triangle. Could you play that at a goth show and goth people wearing Jinko so black pants can dance? Yeah. They, they came from joy division, you know? So, um, I, and joy division is goth, I think, you know? So, yeah. so, um, I mean, new order is just joy division with a different singer. So I think, um, I think you can still play New Order with Goth, but but not past eighty six or eighty seven New Order, because then New Order gets to be just super happy and bright and poppy and and like I say, Bernard Sumner's pumping up a crowd and whistling all the time, going whoosh, 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 you know, and, <laughs> and and like you know they they did a, a song for the World Cup and for soccer, you know. So I mean, that's yeah, that's pretty. If you're doing the World Cup. You know, yeah. what I mean? you're not you're not goth anymore. It's like, but, oh, but yeah, you I think I think what play some football, kick foot. it into the ends. I don't know any soccer terms. So I don't. Wait, what was the boy? You know what is you know this? I sorry, this made me think of and because what the sketch that that you guys did for Mister Show where he oh my god the guy is in the blowjob contest but then he goes he's in that band oh, that's playing the one week uh, uh, the one week breakup. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but, wrote but, that. Yeah, yeah. But what's the the sketch for you guys? I'm it's having them. <laughs> 2001, a space goddessy, I believe, because we were a Christian band, right? And it was heavens to Betsy. I've invented a praying machine. <laughs> yes, yeah. which was based on me like constantly imitating Thomas Dolby around the around the office all the time, going, "Good heavens, Miss Akimoto, you're beautiful." <laughs> Um, and so they were like, all right, just write it into the sketch. But I mean, I mean, does, is this music like, is this something that's influenced your work? I mean, obviously, if I could see elements in, in like the Mr. Show world, because there is a level of of tragedy to all parts of comedy, because that's what we find funny. But I mean, how do you like like how does this make its way into your ecosystem in, in art? Interesting. I don't know. You know, I, I really just because I was I was more into pop music until maybe 1984. I mean, I, I loved Huey Lewis and Hall and Oates. And by the way, I still love them. The best. But, but um, that was mainly I, like I listened to Kiss FM all the time. Um, and, and then Duran Duran started to kind of like come up in like 83 and stuff. And I started paying attention to them and Billy Idol and MTV and all that kind of stuff. But so but but I think I was really attracted to it being different. And it being like a subculture of like, oh, I get this and not everyone does, yeah. you know, like, like the, the football players in high school, I remember at the lip sync contest, they, um, my friends did the most amazing lip sync to Devo where he had a cast of like 15 people and he was playing like a professor who was in charge of everything. And they, they watered these people in, in, um, burlap sacks who then started to come alive and like dance around. And there was a, yeah. a haunted cheerleader with garish eye makeup, like twirling a baton, all this kind of stuff. And the, the high school football team did a lip sync to the Super Bowl shuffle Yep, and they won, you know, and it was of like, course. they put no effort into it, but they were the popular people at school. Of and course. so it just made you feel like, okay, well, I'm never going to be one of the popular people, but at least I can have this subculture that I know a lot about that makes me feel special, you know? So, so I think for me, it being different 
is what attracted me to, you know, Mr. Show in the first place was it was alternative comedy. It was like the, it, it was not what Tim Allen was doing and, and, and it wasn't very commercial. It was like, I remember watching their stage show, the Mr. Show stage show before they ever got a TV show for the first time. And just, it was like a thunderbolt just going like, Oh, well, it was like hearing alternative music for the first time of like, Oh, you can do that. And, yeah. and it's, it, it really is something that people can do. Oh, okay, great. And it just unlocked a whole door for me. Do you think that it's, this is, this is more of a music that is that is like uh, a, a genre based around fans that are in in a sense emotional or are more intellectual. Yeah, I think you know. I mean, anyone at my high school who liked this kind of stuff was very emotional. Um, yeah, they, you know, they the Smiths was my favorite band in high school and very emotional. So very very emotional, and I but remember, also, but also very intellectual. Yeah, because so he's well read. He's like he's kind of writing that line between both. But I will say that a lot of the people who liked these bands were not that intellectual either. <laughs> they, really? they maybe thought they were. Well, like I remember one girl writing out the lyrics um, to "Hand in Glove" and saying like, "This is how me and my boyfriend feel about each other." <laughs> and meanwhile, like all of us knew he was gay. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and this is in theater, and we were She'll all find like, out later. <laughs> yeah, and she yeah. did. <laughs> um, but, but, um, yeah, just really, it, it feels like the Smiths and, and Depeche Mode, they're saying things that are very hard to express and this person has expressed them and it's beautiful. And, and you see, this is, this is how I feel about life. And it, it just feels very important at that age. I remember listening to the Smiths, please, please, please let me get what I want. Um, and that was the first Smith song I ever heard and just going like, oh, holy shit, this is how I feel all the time. <laughs> yeah. So it is very emotional, I think. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there i I think i think that is the emotion that you get behind this record and because this sets a mood this is like i've been living in new york the last six months from los angeles and i feel like this record listening to it walking around new york city hits a little bit different than walking around beachwood canyon do you know what i mean yeah yeah LA's gorgeous. LA, you know what's you know what's funny is it all makes sense now. Whereas like all the California rock, like the Eagles, or oh, I can't yeah. say the Eagles, Eagles and and Joni Mitchell and even Beck, who I just saw last night, which was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life oh, great. at Irving Plaza. Um 
but it, it's it like makes you sense listen- because all of them are about feeling good and and they're yes. all about a vibe for when you're sitting in your you know laurel canyon house yes you know and the and and the the birds are chirping and the hawks are flying overhead or <laughs> or you're on the beach or whatever all that all that music is all about a certain vibe um and depeche mode yeah i can only imagine in new york it feels a little more apropos do you do you find like is as i'm listening to this and it's like you're looking at these old buildings it's got like i said we keep bringing up goth it's got a gothic feel you're looking at stuff you're like wow it's like it hits differently and then it also has these which i want to talk about now is like almost something that feels like these christian like like overtones which we found this where keyboardist singer and songwriter martin gore has said that while he isn't christian some christian notions of good and evil have wormed their way into the lyrics of depeche mode songs like halo martin self-describes these lyrics as seemingly encouraging immortality but always with a tinge of guilt now as a listener do you pick up on those undertones? Cause I kind of do. I feel like yeah. everything, I mean, not just personal Jesus, but every song almost feels like it's like something that you'd, you know, somebody you spent years in the Catholic church or, and it's like, you've been told that like, you know, God is vengeful and God, if you, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what's yeah. great about being Jewish is that we're just like, all right, don't eat this thing. Don't eat that thing. You know, don't yeah, eat but that at a certain whole day. Point, God's going to smite you. Right. He's gonna, I mean, yeah, that's not but, like smiting Christians all that much, as much as he, he's smiting Jews, isn't he? He's, I mean, he did. It's like, I mean, we're the chosen people, but, but he's, he's doing a lot of smiting to the chosen yeah, people. I mean, how, I mean, come on, we're chosen. Like, look us up, dude. Stop being so mean to us. But no, I he, mean, he definitely was wrestling with a lot of stuff. You could you could sense it. I mean, you know, he seemed to be wrestling with sexuality. But then the next record is Songs of Faith and Devotion. You know, I mean, like everything seems to be him wrestling with guilt and and Catholicism at least. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what religion he is, but he seems to be very much questioning. Um, is there a higher power? Um, what is our place in the world? And and am I sinning by dressing up in a, a woman's dress and, you know, like really flaunting, you know, S&M and boundaries and stuff like that. And so, you know, yeah, it, it was stuff that I was going through because I grew up religious um, in Orange County. And so it, it was definitely something that I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm on the same kind of plane where this guy's coming from. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I just love that you said religious in Orange County. It sounds yeah. like a Wim Wenders movie. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. very, it's like, it's on tonight on IFC, religious in Orange County. I mean, that's where the 700 Club and all that kind of stuff is from, you know? No it's way. Like, yeah, yeah. Can it's, I go to a live taping of that? I would do that. <laughs> I would go to a live taping of 700 Club. Is, who's I the dude that still, Is it still around? I have no idea. I mean, they have that, that giant crystal cathedral, which is like the biggest church, or at least at the time it was, you know? And it's just like, it's all the righteous gemstones shit where it's, yeah. you know, people are super super rich joel Osteen is he no he's he's not orange county i think he's texas dude i feel like because we i was just in texas it's crazy how much i've been in texas the last year well during the pandemic i've just it's because it's open really i guess and it's like i've been back and forth and i had to drive from austin to san antonio and dude i mean i probably drove by eight mega churches that are bigger than the mall of america yeah i mean just enormous um, it's it's nuts. Yeah, I don't uh, you know, so I mean, I think I think growing up in the in the 80s where you know, the 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 church 
and the religious right are so oppressive and it just feels so oppressive and, and especially in Orange County where like that at the time was the way to think, you know, to, to see bands like this um, come out and say like, oh, no, 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 you can question this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, and, and you two came out and did the same kind of thing where it was like, you know, going up against television preachers and stuff like that while still feeling like they were exploring religion and trying to figure out their own way into it while not just going like, fuck religion, fuck, you know, Satan, everything, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> God, Bonas. I, I just have this love-hate relationship with them where it's like, man, I love your fucking music, but you are such a cheese ball. It's like, dude, just be a rock star a little bit. You don't Well, he's to... my good friend now, so I'm going to have to tell serious? him you said that. Oh, please don't. No. All right, you know what? Tell him. All right. Tell him. They'll get us some press. We'll have a beef. We'll have a, we'll have a Bono 500 Club beef. He's not, he's not my good friend. I don't have his email. No. I was talking to Phoebe Robinson the other day, and she gets Loves emails him. She gets emails from him, and I was very jealous because I've always had to go through a, a third party <laughs> when I talk yeah. to him. Well, she did. Uh, she actually did the first U two record we had on here. And, and listen, it's a band that that transcends race, uh, you know, uh, creed, color, everything. It's Even just like politics it's... in a way. Although I went, Phoebe and I went to see them in Madison Square Garden a few years back, and there was this, this, these two guys behind us. Anytime Bono would start to talk about politics, they'd go, boo, shut the fuck up, stick to music. I'm like, do you know who you're listening to? Like, like, there's like, there's the only two people that are pissed off. Everybody else is like, yeah, finally, he's getting political. Oh, it's my favorite Bono. I, I love their music. I do. I just have a good five minute bit. It was one of the first jokes I ever said that 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 ever worked on stage, um, which was about if, if Bono <laughs> like ever had groupie sex and it's just like him comparing every sex move to something that happened in the in the world. Uh, this is a lot funny. like when Nelson Mandela <laughs> yeah, yeah, got yeah, out yeah. of jail. My sperm <laughs> was released. Yes, dude. You're a hundred you were literally doing the joke. It's I gotta bring it back, man. Cause you I gotta like get you, it back. Yeah, I'm trying, man. You Go know. To, to Austin, <laughs> yeah, they'll love that. One Austin. place that's still open. Who Bono? Who you, you talking about? Sonny Bono? He's a national treasure. He is a Democrat <laughs> piece of shit, though. But you know the shit he did with Sonny and Cher. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's, I, that's I listen. I'm a fan of all of it, and I'm and I'm a fan of this band. My I have a buddy. I don't know, man. There's I have a buddy that is like this cool. He's like the, he's like the guy that I emulate dress wise. Like he he has this clothing store called Schaefer's Garment Hotel that's right next to Toy on Sunset Boulevard. Mm, it's like if okay, you want to yeah. dress like a Mumford and Son, that's where you shop. <laughs> a lot of and vests. I, a lot of, lot of newsy yeah, caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of like the like Japanese raw denim and like like mm. Momoa. Jason Momoa okay, yeah. has a lot of clothes from there. Whatever and he so, would strip off before he dives into the ocean. Yeah, dude. It's like, but you get that, you get that like 30 second shot of him sure. peeling <laughs> off that that Mumford and Son vest. And and he had this Depeche Mode shirt that I thought was the coolest shirt I'd ever seen. There's something about this band that is that is so cool and i think it has to do with everything we've just talked about it has to talk about the goth aspect it has to deal with the fact that are they gay like i don't know it it feels like a little uh like homoerotic in a lot of the music i mean because because think about this in the song we were talking about at the beginning enjoy the silence for years, I thought the lyrics were all I ever wanted, all I ever needed was him in oh, my yeah. arms. Cause it sounds like that. Right. And it wasn't like I would hear that and go, 
oh, they're they're not saying here, they're saying him. And it makes sense because of, of everything that you see from right. David. He's he's waifishly thin. The, the, no, they, were, the dark- they were flirting with it a lot. I mean, like I said, that catching up with Depeche Mode record, there's like a photo collage uh, on the inside sleeve that had a lot of kind of flirting with gay imagery kind of stuff. And so I, I grew up kind of just assuming they were. Yes. Um, and I don't think they are, although, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked into it all that much. But, but um, yeah, I, I, it definitely feels like they're – oh, we're screen sharing. Yep, here it is. Yeah, Martin I mean, is well, – that's, that's early stuff. That's early stuff. I mean, first of all, Martin's outfit – for the police army that can't see this, I mean, Martin is literally wearing, I guess it's, uh, you know, uh, urban cowboy chic. Yeah, you know, well, maybe it's, living- it's definitely like a leather jacket and cowboy hat, which is, you know, you'd find <laughs> that on Bon Jovi, certainly. But what sets him apart is he has no shirt, a giant <laughs> silver necklace down to his navel, and bleached frosted hair. Tips. Yeah, <laughs> that frosted is- tips. <laughs> frosted tips that Frost- are going up there on that cowboy hat um, the other yeah, two so. the other two dudes on the right look just like normal new yeah. wave british guys you they're know very what I mean? just british guys like very couldn't we british. be in kaja Gugu perhaps <laughs> yeah, instead of knows? this we could be in any band and david <laughs> i mean is wearing what i can only assume is like a, a six thousand dollar jacket this no is... it's it's a shiny kind of tom jones what's yes. new pussycat looking jacket very. but then he's got the frosted tips but he's his hair is squared off too, um, so it lo- <laughs> the top of his head looks like a rectangle. And then the two guys on the left are wearing, you know, pretty obvious makeup. And then the two guys on the right are like, "Could you just, you know, give me a little powder, please?" <laughs> please. Second, second from right almost looks like uh, like Boomer Esiason. I don't know if yeah. anybody gets that he's about reference. To step into the booth. Thank you. <laughs> just, Adam's going crazy over just that. Do play by play. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Now, 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 kind of, can you show us a variation of them now? Because I really want to see what they look like when Violator came out. Because that's not Violator. That's definitely pre-Violator. Right. I actually love the way that David looks like now. You know. Yeah. Well, but, he's he he really got into like everyone kind of the mid in the mid nineties. He was like, okay, well, let me start getting tattoos and. Uh, and, and, you know, he grew a goatee, I remember, and all this kind of stuff. And he was really trying to like distance himself from the whole synth pop kind of feel, you know, and now he, but still when you go see them, like I saw their last tour, he still is like gyrating around like they're a dance band. Um, so he's really straddling both worlds. Yeah. Okay. So this is a picture of them during, during Violet. Look at that. Look at, look at how different, I mean, this is, this is Adam, this is Violator. Yeah, I mean, this is this is so a now to- now Martin has forced the entire band to wear black. Yes, at this point, you you see uh, the two other guys, Alan and what's the other guy's name? Um, you see them know. both like <laughs> in, in the early records. They're like, couldn't I just wear like a nice cable knit sweater, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. But now he's like, no, you're gonna wear these black leather jackets. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna like it. <laughs> So, so yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a full image change. Um, well, let me ask you something because you, you talked about some of the other bands, uh, like New Order and Joy Division. Like, how do you feel Depeche Mode's musicality and lyricism sets them apart from those groups? They so, uh, th- yeah, the bands that they're most like are The Cure mm-hmm. 
and, and New Order, New Joy Order, Division. Joy Division. Yeah, yeah, Smiths. So I think you know the Smiths were were definitely into '60s jangle pop. So it it and girl groups. So that's what kind of made them different and very unique. Um, and New Order, you know, leaned really into uh, dance music once they, op- especially once they opened up their own club. Um, Depeche Mode, though, they, they, they really feel to me like they're into the songwriting of it all. Um, that they, they're almost like the Smiths if the Smiths were like, Johnny, put away the guitar. <laughs> we're bringing out the keyboards instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like they, 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 their songs sound like they're written on a guitar. And Martin plays the guitar when they're, you know, when they do them live. Um, but but then they're 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 translated through really interesting keyboard textures, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's to me. Whereas New Order just purely leans into the groove on most of their yes, it's stuff, very you know? very you very danceable. Like you could dance to this, but it's it's like more slow. It's, yeah, you know, it would be hard to put on you know World in My Eyes and really get out there and tear it up on the dance floor. You'd be sort of like this is a cool song and you'd be enjoying it, but then they're like five and a half minutes. And, you know, it's like at a certain point, you're just like, okay, I'm going to wait until the next song's going to play. I think this is sex music. I think this is deep, longing, passionate sex music. I feel like you can fuck to this entire record. The whole record record is a vibe. And if you can last as long as this record, you know, which is like 45 minutes or so, you know, I mean, hats off to you. I can get to personal Jesus. (laughs) I can get to track three. I I know I can do that. Yeah, I can... I don't know. You're ending at world in my eyes. I'm I'm like a minute into world in my eyes, I think. (laughs) All right. Here's some facts about this. Uh, So this reached number two on the UK album charts and was a band's first album to chart inside the top 10 of the Billboard 200 peaking at number seven. It reached number 17 on the Billboard year end chart for 1990. Um, Let me see if this fact is even worth reading. Before this, uh, we'd been going along quite nicely. Then when it came to Violator, we inexplicably, inexplicably went huge and it was just incredible in many ways we never really recovered from that and after that we just felt like we wanted to muck it up a bit i could see what that's like i could see suddenly going from being this band that just people know about and then suddenly you make a record that's like dark it's all the things that we just talked about it could be also you make the best record of your life where every single song is an incredible classic (laughs) you know it's like uh, really it is i can see you kind of going like oh wow that fucked up everything for us we made one of the greatest pieces of art we'll ever make in our life you know? without even really probably trying i mean they they said yeah. i mean really it's it's like what we said about the recording process it's like it's a group effort instead of coming in with martin having all the songs done it's like literally being like okay guys we've been playing together let's let's see what we can do and i mean it that's really, brave i mean seven really seven brave. records in you know to to be like it's either brave or you're bored of what happened before, you know, I don't know what it is, but it just, it just worked like everything on this for the next four or five records, they do what they do on this. And it's just incredible until, you know, one of them leaves. And then I think they, they sort of drop off in quality after that. Yeah. I see. I just don't know enough about that later. stuff. but everything I've heard about that later stuff is like, I like, I really do like Ultra it. So, is, is a great record. That's probably the, my favorite next to this yeah it's, it's the most consistent one as well um and it's it's just incredible i mean it's got it's no good on it um you know it, it's it's if you like this record ultra is the other one to listen to i think and i uh, the, when i got to see them live at the hollywood bowl they played four nights i think at the hollywood bowl 
Mm-hmm. And the one night that I went to, my friend t- took me to, they happened to, because they would change the set list every single night, they happened oh, to play that. almost every single song on Ultra, which is like my favorite. And I was just going like, this is the best <laughs> night that I got to go to. This is, oh my God, you you lucked out, dude. Yeah. I never get that. I always get I always get the, oh, if you were here last night, they played that and they played Friday that. So allmusic.com says this is goth without ever being stupidly hammy, synth without sounding like the clinical stereotype of synth music, rock without ever sounding like a rock band, Depeche here reach astounding heights indeed. I, I, You know what? I think that's a perfect way to sum up this record. This doesn't sound like a synth record that much to me. It just sounds like music, you know? So like that, that, and that maybe was why I, was always iffy on Depeche Mode before this is because they sounded like a synth band. Um, and this just sounds like, you know, they're, they're weaving in guitars and all sorts of, of synth textures and the voice. It just, yeah, it's really indescribable. So let's talk about some of the tracks. So the ones that I didn't hear are mostly everything but the hits. Um, World in My Eyes, uh, great song. I mean, I was immediately I was drawn into the record. I knew this was going to be good. Uh, even though the uh, the beginning was like that, but then when the when the drums hit, and my friend and I would always, whenever we would listen to it, would always like imit, like do our finger to the, you know, when it comes in, it's like, it's such a cool drum hit sound when when the drums finally kick in. It's, a, it's yeah. almost like you know something going backwards in a way. Then and then, sweetest perfection. If you would have told me that Trent Reznor wrote this song, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, a hundred percent." I yeah. mean, this is this is Nine Inch Nails. This is sexy Nine Inch Nails. It's uh, you know, it's a song uh, where Martin's intertwining uh, sex and addiction uh, and guilty pleasures of of or pursuit of pleasure and very self-destructive aspects of that. Uh, and But then you get to, which I mean this sincerely, this song pounds so hard. Personal Jesus is exactly what the guy from All Music, that quote that we read, is summing up. This is, it's guitar, because that, that lick on the guitar yeah. is so you, powerful. You have to listen to the acoustic version, because it's... It's just him playing it the whole thing on the guitar. It's like it's incredible. Find it, Adam. Find it Find now. This. I must Adam, hear. You <laughs> have your orders. <laughs> Find me this song. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. This is, I mean, I love this song. So I do that show, the goddamn comedy jam where comics sing. And I remember I was going to open, we were at Moon Tower and I was thinking about opening with this. Uh, I haven't done it yet. Um, I think I chose uh, Midnight Oil, Beds Are Burning instead. I played that in my high school band. Did you really? Yeah, that was one of our, our big hits. Dude, here's the funniest shit about that song when we did it live. And we've got like maybe like 500 people at the show. And you know the big part where it's just like where the music cuts out and he's like, uh, fuck, what's the line? I'm going to fuck it up. 
Is Let's that a brain bring fart? it back. Yes, 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 yes. That's it. Right there, right there. Where they cut the music out. So the whole crowd is, yeah. So the whole crowd's with me and I'm like, I'm like, and then they cut the music off and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to hold the moment before I say it. Let's bring it back. And as soon as we cut the music off, this dude sitting in the front steals my line. Ah. And I just like, for the next like 10 minutes, I just, it was like musically, I shat on him in this really funny <laughs> way, which actually was great. So whoever you are, listener, if you are listening to the podcast, he actually gave us a lot of enjoyment and you know, I love Sometimes you. it's actually better that way, but I know <laughs> you had this moment in your head when. Yeah, it really did. It was, dude, it was, it was really, it was something special. All right. So what do we got about this? This was the first of four singles released from the album. This one being released approximately six months ahead of the album prior to the single dropping advertised were placed in the personal columns of regional newspapers in the UK with the words, your own personal Jesus. Later, the ads included a phone number one could dial to hear the song. Ooh, I like that. How does anyone, like, how did that work, I wonder? (laughs) Like, because I, I was never a person who was just combing through personal ads of local newspapers looking for music news, you know? It's there's like, people, dude, there's, anytime there was like, you know, it's like that, that they said the Chris Rock joke where it's like, you know, they, they have to put the numbers in movies as five, 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 right. because people are idiots people and they just try, naturally call. And I they think try to Squid call. Squid Game, that actually happens with Squid Game. Like there's a, there's a, a real phone number in Squid Game. And so people yeah. are calling it over and over and over. Yeah. They want to talk to, they want to talk to the Squid dude. They want to I mean, talk when to. I was in, when I was in. <laughs> elementary school we would constantly call up eight six seven five three oh nine goes jenny there and, <laughs> and hang this up, person's you know. like please stop calling me yeah i know please. my name is jenny but yes <laughs> i mean people want to talk to indiana jones you know what i mean you can't you can't get mad at him for wanting to talk to indy <laughs> Um, the song was inspired by the book Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley. According to songwriter Martin Gore, it's a song about being a, being a Jesus for somebody else, someone to give you hope and care. It's about how Elvis was her man and her mentor and how often that happens in love relationships, how everybody's heart is like a God in some way. And that's not a very balanced view of someone, is it? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. We have the acoustic version I'm, I'm hearing. Do you have it, Adam? Play a little bit of it. Ooh, you got me. Wow. Yeah, this, by the way, I think is what Johnny Cash, when he did this yes. song, I think it's yes. based on, on this. Oh, this is no, this is this. You, if you, if you strip what this is why this, this is a great song. If you, cause like we just did, if you strip away everything and you take it down to just that guitar riff, this is, this is a country song. This is a rock song. This is everything. Which is how I got into them. I had no idea that that's how they wrote their songs. I just assumed they like flipped on a computer or a keyboard and just like yeah. banged away at it for a while. But no, I mean, it's like really good songwriting. Yeah. Great songwriting. Uh, it's in 2004, it was ranked number 368 in Rolling Stones list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And in September, 2006, it was voted as one of the hundred greatest songs ever. Bold statement, but uh, I, you know, it's apt. 
I'll put it in there. I mean, I and like Happy Birthday. That's probably one of my favorite songs in the Spangled Banner. That's, Those that's, are one and two, good. probably. But it's pretty good. Pretty this is maybe number good. three. This is yeah. This is up there. This is like you know. This is listen. Robert Smith of the Cure listed this as one of his thirty favorite songs from the nineteen eighties. What a weird. What a more. I couldn't. There couldn't be a more Cure Robert Smith list. And instead of doing top ten, top twenty, <laughs> I'm gonna do top thirty. It's just <laughs> let's give him. I have 30. a little more time than doing a top ten. <laughs> So then you have Halo, Waiting for the Night. Anything you want to say about those two? Or I, you know, Halo is beautiful, uh, and Waiting for the Night is 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 really gorgeous. It's kind of slow and just like re- it's more of a mood piece, I think. Yeah, you know? it really but, is. But a beautiful melody, but not not a single. But at the same time, a lot of these songs sort of became well known, you know, because they were played a lot, you know, yeah. um, even though they weren't singles. Blue Dress and Clean. And I think even waiting for the night, they were all really played locally on K Rock a lot. So, so some some cool little facts about this. Uh, well, I'll do this. Rolling Stone called the song "Fragile Yet Hopeful," and classic they have pop- a song called "Fragile," which really, yeah. I wonder is it what, what did he call that one? He called that one "Hopeful Yet <laughs> Fragile." He flipped it. Yet flipped Halo. the script. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, classic pop magazine. Adam, where are you getting these these reviews, dude? You're like Goth Quarterly called it arguably the band's <laughs> finest lower tempo moment. Uh, you know, Dark Wave bi weekly comes out <laughs> twice a week. It's a it, then you have the all music dude. <laughs> You know what's interesting? Cool. I, w- I was reading the 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 Wikipedia entry on this um, in preparation because I do my homework, and um, nice. uh, it, this got pretty bad reviews when it came out, which mm. is which is really you know it, it's so it's why you shouldn't really uh, pay any attention to music reviews because uh, when they first come out, the week something comes out, someone's had a chance to listen to it once, maybe yeah. twice. You know, they haven't lived mm-hmm. with it. And so, like, all of the reviews when it first came out were like, eh, Depeche Mode, back on their bullshit, doing the same old thing, or like, eh, not that great. It's just more of the same. And then it's become a classic where you realize, holy shit, all nine of these songs are, are good. classics. Are really good. Yeah, I, I listen you know, you can, you're everything you just said is hundred percent. Right. If you, some people on a first listen are just going to blow stuff off and go, yeah, it's not that you do have to sit with the record. I don't think you have to sit with this one. I think for someone like me on the first listen, I was like, Oh, I'm, this is, this is what I want to listen to right now. This is, I'm so into this vibe. I'm so into this band. And now finally I can really do a deep dive into a band that I always thought was just really cool. I keep saying they're cool because they are <laughs> just even the, even the cover of the record of, of that, that fly, that, that flower that's like the, wilting yeah, or the, the blood red flower with the yeah. black background. And yeah, it's, it's clean. It's yeah. Look at that. It's that's uh, Anton, Anton Cor- Cor- Corbin, yeah. yeah, like his, his whole aesthetic, and that he directed all their videos and everything. I mean, it's very much like they they paid a lot of attention to image and aesthetic, and uh, I mean, Depeche Mode is French for fast fashion, I believe. So, I mean, they were they were always really you know paying attention to image and stuff like that in in a way that other bands are just like you know. But that I mean, that was what was so refreshing about Kurt Cobain and Nirvana when they came out is like. Hey, we don't give a shit about image. We're just gonna wear whatever we we were wearing earlier in the day, you know, on stage. Yeah. So, and then it, everybody, it, everybody then goes, "Oh, that's the coolest look." Yeah, in and the so history then of the everyone's world. yeah, everyone starts imitating that and putting on long johns underneath short sleeve shirts, yeah. and you know, yeah. so it just goes back and forth. 
but you know, yeah, it definitely is. They, they just seem really cool and cool to a lot of different subcultures, motorcycle culture and goth. And, you know, I mean, it's one of those albums that you, you can listen to if you, I mean, Brian Posehn likes this record a lot, you know, I mean, he, he likes this and the cures disintegration a lot, even though he's like a metal guy, you know, it's like one yeah. of these things that transcends sort of genre. But this, but you, you brought up Brian, this fits more into what I would believe is his musical ecosystem than De La Soul. Right. Because well, this has a metal aspect to it. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, dude, this is, this is metal without being metal. But Brian also is from San Francisco in the early 90s. You got to take that into I, account. Yeah, I, so. I know, I know, but <laughs> so. you know. This, but oh, the, this is the like, hip hop stuff is is played a lot up there. So. Sure, but but there's you know everything but about why is he him. Responding I, to it, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Everything about him is just like fuck yeah, let's yeah. fucking go. Landmine has taken my ski. Baba la do ski loot do do. I don't know no, the, the words. The uh, <laughs> you know like uh, Smashing Pumpkins version of of um which one did they do did they did world my eyes or enjoy the silence i can't remember I think uh, let me see because i've got i've got i've got what's it called pulled up right now i've got all the facts for enjoy the silence i don't see smashing pumpkins they Hold did on. there there's a whole depeche mode covers record where like deftones are on it and smashing pumpkins and so like they, they covered never let me down again Oh, okay. They covered Never Let Me Down. Okay. So, but, but, but there is, there is a crossover between this band and guitar bands and sort of metal bands that are into darker subject matter. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. I I think this is metal. I think this is metal without being metal. Enjoy the silence. You start uh, the The side song. Is this your, is this This my favorite? Yeah. This is your favorite? Okay. Was it you just answered one of the rapid fire questions at the Uh end? Oh. No, it's all right. Don't worry. Cause I've got like four more. This one, so this is a second single, uh, also ahead of the actual album release, came out about six weeks before, peaked at number six on the UK singles charts and number eight on the US Billboard. It was their highest charting song in the US. The song won best British single at the 1991 Brit Awards. Adam, find out who else was nominated because I always love to find out that kind of shit. Um, Adam Healy from Albumism. <laughs> These, where are you getting these fucking reviews? All right, Gon's vocals are intimate and seductive as he draws you in with lyrics that examine the quiet satisfaction of a relationship, those tender moments when silence fills the void and your lover is in your arms and the world ceases to exist. There is something inviting, something powerful in those declarations, something that you could latch onto and feel a part of. I... That is, Adam, what a perfect quote for you to find, because I, I actually couldn't agree with that more. There's something about this song, whereas like Personal Jesus has that 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 rock element and it has that religious connotation. This is a real song about love. And even if he was singing about a man or a woman, it's beautiful. All I have ever wanted, all I ever needed is here in my arms. I mean, that's 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 beautiful. Thoughts, anything you want to add to it? I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not only is it a gorgeous sentiment, but it's, it's also beautiful musically. I mean, the, the, the chord that he hits at the end of it where they can only do, um, yeah you know, is like such a interesting chord to end a chorus on, you know, like, because it's, it's in that da, 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 da. It kind of sounds like major key-ish a little bit. Da, 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 You know, it's like a very weird minor chord to end a chorus on. It's, it's, it's really great. 
Great song. Uh, it was originally written as a slow ballad by Gore, but at Wilder's suggestion became an up-tempo track. I, I think either way, this could have been, yeah. it's, you know, this could have been like that thing you do that could have been a ballad could have been up tempo i think you if i were in a band i would just constantly suggest changing the, <laughs> the, the tempo, <laughs> the tempo so i could be the genius behind whichever version <laughs> actually sticks slow song let's do it fast someone comes in with a fast song let's do it slow this is a ballad about about my my dad who passed away ah, we gotta do it fast let's kick it up a notch come on Dude, <laughs> Uh, the song received a massive boost uh, thanks to the video directed by Anton uh, Corbin. Uh, yeah, Corbin. thank Corbin. you for saying that because I would have fucked it up. Most fans in the video still find it hard to listen to the song without picturing David walking around the countryside in a kingly crown and robe. In a 1990 promotional video for the song was shot by TV, I'm sorry, by French TV uh, featuring Depeche Mode uh, lip syncing the song while standing on the observation deck of the South Tower of the original World Trade Center. I feel like this this video has been parodied by someone too, because it, it really is iconic. Like him walking around with the robe on the beach with that yeah. super grainy, uh, uh, a shooting style and cinematography. I feel mm -hmm. like flight of the Concords or someone has like done a, a parody of it, but I, I could be misremembering. I can see it. it. No, I, I believe it. Uh, Adam, will you look up, see if there's any parodies of the video and then maybe we can, we can screen a taste. All right. Policy of truth. Uh, the last song I want to talk about, cause I mean, you, you, you kind of have to policy of truth. Yeah. Third it's single a good policy. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I wish more people lived by it. I mean, it. you know, honesty is the best policy, but a policy of truth, it's policy close. Of tr policy of truth, man. Dude, I wish the people of politics just believed in the policy of truth. Somebody needs to storm into that Senate right now, throw down a boombox like John Cusack, yes. throw it up and be like, boom, 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 That's what the QAnon shaman was doing. Dude, he's having the time of his life right now. That guy... I'm a big fan of the QAnon shaman. Oh, huge uh, fan. Huge fan, man. Especially once like you saw him and you were like, I mean, what is, you, you kind of picture what his voice is going to be like. And then you watch all the documentary and he's like, yo, what's up, brother? Yeah. QAnon shaman, <laughs> he, he has the sort of aesthetic that Dave Gunn has in the, the Enjoy the Silence video, honestly. Like he, it's very... There's just a hair's difference between the two of them. They're honestly. the same dude. They are the same dude. Because you know what? David's a patriot. David's oh, a patriot. Oh, hell yeah. He's a constitutionalist. <laughs> He's a constitutionalist, man. He's like, yeah, brother. I'm the QAnon shaman just sitting in Nancy <laughs> Pelosi's chair. QAnon shaman what? as well. Depeche Mode and QAnon shaman may as well be the exact same name for a band. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they're, they mean about the same thing. If you had to guess what is in um, QAnon Shaman's Spotify saved songs, what, what would you think? I mean, Born to be Wild is definitely like up there For probably sure. twice. He accidentally put it in a second time on the list, you know, because he's like, I just love this song. Yeah. You're like, didn't you already put this in, QAnon Shaman? Like, oh, this, one's, this is the karaoke version just so I can <laughs> sing it too when I'm in the car. If you went into a coma in like the 70s and woke up now and were like, Okay, which one of these is a band? QAnon Shaman or Depeche Mode? I, I would pick QAnon Shaman. QAnon Shaman definitely sounds like it just a band. sounds more like a band, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, definitely. I could see them playing Bowery. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's like, dude, I'm going to see QAnon Shaman and uh and fucking uh Blue Jazz Central and like it's like, oh yeah, dude, I love those bands. Man. You know that QAnon Shaman has like the cult and Stone Temple Pilots in his in his Spotify, yes. definitely. Yes. Hundred percent, I could see him listening to STP. Nothing against STP, 
Great band. Great band. All, but you know, know the Qunon Shaman has been to every single one of their shows. Qunon <laughs> Shaman <clears throat> loves Velvet Revolver too. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, he's big. Loves into it. Audio Slave, dude. Yeah, he was, into, he was into talk show as well, which was the wow, very... Dude, you're, pulling, you're pulling deep cuts, dude. Oh, hello. Uh, that, <laughs> That's a great that, song, dude. by the way. I think just I was, as good as anything Stone Temple Pilots ever did. He's a huge fan of Army of Anyone. Oh, of you course. You want to go even further? Of course, you want to go yeah. even deeper? I, dude, I can go deep with STP history. God, I wish we... Should, the way that you do a Talking Heads podcast, I could do a Stone Temple Pilots podcast. Yeah. Not nearly as interesting, but, you know. I, I think they're great. I mean, their first record, uh, yeah, a little too derivative. But after that, man, they're like super glammy and great. I, I, I think they were they were awesome. Speaking of which, I'd love to get your thoughts before we we get into to facts and stuff. What is your that your thoughts on? Because we just did stop making sense. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is it is there a better concert film than I stop making sense? I, I I don't think so because so many concert films put in so much bullshit that they intentionally took out, which was, um, you know, they, they, uh, Jonathan Demi, when he saw all these old concert films, they would constantly interrupt the music by having like Jimi Hendrix give an interview in between songs and stuff. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to see that. I just want to see the, the show, you know what I mean? So Jonathan Demi made so many really interesting choices when he directed that of like taking out all crowd reaction shots, um, focusing on the stage like stage hands moving in stuff, you know, uh, during songs and stuff. It, it's such an interesting film, but I have to say David Byrne's new one that Spike Lee directed American U- utopia is astonishing as well. It's so good as well. Would it be as good if, if you didn't already know these incredible talking head songs that he's playing on stage? Probably not. And that's what sort of separates them is like, yeah. stop making sense is happening in the moment while talking heads is, is creating all of this music and American utopia is kind of like a culmination of David Byrne's career where it's like talking head stuff and all of his solo hits and weird songs that he did with fat boy slim and Brian Eno and stuff. But there, but having seen it live and in the concert film, American Utopia is is an incredible experience. So people should watch that definitely. I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it. But I I love that with their our guest. I don't know if you know uh, Tom Thakur and and Tommy McNamara. They have a podcast called uh, Stand by Your Band, where you defend. Oh, I've heard of like it. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super fun. I did it, and then they we talked about that that record, and I was like, oh, that's coming up in a week. Do you want to be the guest? And they both came on, and he said something so. It's just so perfect. He said, it's like, you're watching, uh, you're watching a band at the height of their, like arguably on that night, they were the best band in the world. And they were so dialed in to what they were doing that, that you just, and it's recorded. And so you get to see this band at the height of their, when no one could touch them, no one was better. And they never did shows again. That's the other part. That's like, I was so into that, that movie and that record and I remember in the LA Times on in the Sunday calendar section, um, in the back of it, they would constantly have ticket scalping agencies saying like, put down a deposit for when these bands come to town. And they had talking heads, right? And I was always like, I got to see them whenever they're out here again. I almost put down a deposit for talking heads tickets and they never toured ever again. So <laughs> thank God you didn't. You yeah, said, no, I, would, like I would never bucks. have gotten that $10 yeah. back. Yeah. I could, I could definitely see them be like, they're going to go on tour. Just it's been eight years. Just hold off. Do yeah. is it at least gaining interest? Do I get, do I get money back from it? Um, 
All right. So, so, so besides, you know, we could, we could not to skip over, we got to mention blue dress and clean. Um, great. Great, both songs. great songs. Also both great. there's a, there's a B side dangerous, which is, it was actually played on K rock a lot. Um, and that is just as good as anything on the record. I think, I don't know why they didn't use it other than the fact, I think they were under a time limit of how much, how, how long this record could be. Um, and yeah. so, this is the the whole record's forty seven minutes. It's, it's, it looks yeah, like yeah, it is forty seven oh two, and it flies by. It really flies by. There's there's not. It's, it's, this is going to be hard when we get to the rapid questions. There's really not a song that I would skip over on this. Yeah, Everything I have, about I have one, it, but I'll save it for the rapid. Okay, save it, save it, save it, save it. Love it, dude. and it's oh. and it's kind of a classic, but it's my I would say my least favorite. Okay, good. It's a loaded question anyway, so it doesn't. Yeah. It always is very, you know. But there's even see. even on like Smith's "Meat Is Murder." I'm not ever listening to "Meat Is Murder" ever again, you know. So there, <laughs> there's like you know, that the song, you know. Yeah. There, there are songs that are bad. We we've talked about that on on the Talking Heads podcast because I think um, "Remain in Light." I think we talked to Tawny Newsom for that uh, for that record and. Mm-hmm. It's one of her favorite records of all time, and yet she always skips the last song. And I'm like, how can it be one of your favorite records of all time if you skip the last song? And it's like, well, no, all the other stuff on it is so great that I don't need to hear the sort of shitty last song on it, you know? Yeah, there's there's, there's a few records like that that I'm like, oh, this is a perfect album, but you could cut those two songs off and it would be... Because sometimes the the meat, the real substance of it, is so big and so perfect yeah. that it that it, it you know it just it just it smooths out the rough edges of some of the other shit that you really can't get into yeah there really um, are only a few like perfect perfect records where it's like every single song like maybe the car's first record and the pretender's first record or pretenders rather um yeah you know where like every single song is necessary for it yeah. you know yeah um this this feels like one and and the the one that i'm gonna say is probably heresy but um, Ooh, but I'll, dude I'll save, it. save it save it all right so here's some uh random facts and a couple album reviews uh this is the last time we're gonna see depeche mode on the 500 album list uh but the album in the 2020 list did jump 175 spots to number 167, which is rare, Scott. Usually, Usually they either, get they drop off. They drop off, but I could see that. I could see how influential this record is on so much music we're listening to today. I think synth music and any kind of music like this, which, you know, honestly, like anything that the dance music, like for, going back to disco, you know, the Bee Gees documentary is a lot about this. Why weren't they taken seriously when they were out there? They were a joke. And it's all because like dance music traditionally is listened to and performed by gay people. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy to not take it seriously as a genre. And so for me, you know, Depeche Mode, when they come out with a record, it's kind of like customary for critics to just kind of discount it. And so you that's how good this record is is you cannot deny it you know 30 years on now just how great it is yeah because i i, I think critics would just normally just go like oh dance music forget it you know and just yeah. not put well, it on the list i think i think you don't get marilyn manson i don't think mm-hmm. you get like i said i brought up nine maybe, inch nails maybe you know i would trade 
not having this record if we didn't get Marilyn Manson. I don't Dude, know. He, listen, he, I, I, and I mean this sincerely because I, my buddy is a huge Manson fan and he goes, he goes, Manson, you know, those first few records, it was, there was something about him. He was an incredible performer, but he needed to die then. Because now we've got fat, bloated, like asshole well, did all this every, fucked up yeah. shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, if he just would have died at 27, like Kurt Cobain, Manson, you know, it would be, he because there was, and I mean it, like well, finding out, all, it's like this, but also finding out all the stuff we found out recently about the way that he treated women. I mean, of course, but, I'm not but, saying he's a good dude, but. But look at Trent Reznor, though. He's a guy who who was doing the same things as Manson. You know, they were palling around back when they were touring sure. together. And he's a guy who grew up and, and actually became a good person. Sure. <laughs> like Manson, Manson didn't need to die. He just needed to do what Trent Reznor did, which is yeah. like actually like become a fucking adult or something. I think I think Manson got too caught up with his ego. I think he just believed in the bullshit that he was pumping out, that he's this, that because, you know, dude, I remember, and, and this is so off topic, but I, <laughs> I was a general manager of a chicken wing restaurant called Cluck. <laughs> you chicken clucky <laughs> i swear to god and we dude this is how bad it was we had to answer the phone like this we had to go cluck you oh god no yeah, 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 yeah. i swear to god dude and i mean after like you know four or five months on the job i was just like ah cluck you just like <laughs> just any random i had to ah. say i had to say howdy um <laughs> when i worked at po folks as a waiter i had to approach every table and say howdy can i get you a belly washer and oh, if a manager passed by and you said hey there how's it going can i get you a drink they would they oh, they'd would... fire you yeah that's it they'd, they'd reprimand you they'd yeah. beat you in the back with uh with a lasso um but there's but there was a girl that was you know because they didn't hire the best people for the job, we included. I know, <laughs> I know. At Cluck you, you, you know, their hiring practices are so are just so like by the book. The um, but there was this girl that literally. This is how much she loved Marilyn Manson. On her arm, like on on the top of her forearm, she she had Manson like cut into it, mm. like she had done it herself. And I mean, that's that's like an obsession that's like you know like i can understand yeah. like you're carving something on the on a table like yeah man i love you know slayer that slayer like the you know like they're, they're, they're yeah. the way they write their name but this is on her flesh like people love that loved manson loved him so much that you know it's the same shit that you know unfortunately we're hearing about the travis scott situation in houston where they're obsessed with this artist so much uh that that if he says get closer to the stage and beat that dude up or do that. People are going to do it. I mean, dude, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember a few, I think it was a couple years ago, uh, uh, Dina Hashem, who's a really brilliant comic, did a set on uh, Comedy Central uh, at the Comedy Cellar. And there's a clip of her making a joke about uh, XXX Tension, that rapper that yeah. died, who got shot up. And, and she was a very funny joke. And because people were so obsessed with this guy's music, she got death threats, like yeah. legit death threats. Well, also, you can turn off the death threats if you just never go on Twitter. Like you For don't sure get, you don't get it. Like that's the weird <laughs> thing is, is we've given everyone our email addresses <laughs> to send yeah. us death threats by turning on Twitter, you know, like yeah. you. you um, but yeah, I, I know what your point. It's, it, it's, it's very weird when people, especially nowadays, like I, I, when the Beatles came out, you can understand people going crazy when they would see them because all you ever got was like a blurry photograph on a record or yeah. 
maybe a poster on your wall and you would sit mm -hmm. there and look at them and imagine what they were like, you know, mm -hmm. and then to see them in person, it's like, you'd just fucking go crazy because like, you've just been sitting there thinking about them for years and yeah. oh, they're right in front of me, all my, you know, but yeah, nowadays you with, with how accessible every single artist is and how, you know, like everyone has an Instagram where every waking thought is recorded. It's like, why would anyone feel that like that crazy about someone now, you know? I think it's even more because they know so much about them. They feel even closer. Yeah, that's that's because everybody because now it's like we're spilling out everything on social media. This is my kids and this is my wife the and this is what I ate today. Yeah. It is a it is now you feel like you know them even more. So because before it was just the Beatles were just oh my god these four cute boys that are on Ed Sullivan in these beautiful suits with their mop hairdos. Oh, they're they, so cute. What if they looked at me and actually fell in love? I mean, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you have those beliefs. <laughs> and I mean, who knows, dude? Ringo, you know, he's he's looking around. He's a player. Ringo <laughs> you know, was a player. He's got not a lot to do back there other than just is, banging on shit. You know, yeah, he can I mean, kind of he doesn't have to sing or anything. He's got he's got time on his hands. Yeah, and when he does, his songs are kind of, you know, meh. Let me tell you good. one story. Uh, one story about Manson. Please. Um, I was uh, at the Galaxy Theater in LA, which um, is no longer exists, but it's on. It was on Hollywood uh, over by La Brea. Okay. And I'm going to see Scream Three, and I'm by myself. Um, and I I would get to theaters like 40 minutes early before you could res reserve seats because I mm -hmm. always wanted an aisle seat because my legs are so long and yeah. and they would it would be really uncomfortable sometimes to be smashed in there. No, so I, I get there really early to see Scream Three, and. Um, the theater's filling up and this guy in like all black with with bright bleached blonde hair comes up to me and goes like, hey, excuse me, because the entire row next to me is it doesn't have anyone sitting there. But yeah. the, so there's like eight seats next to me that are open. And he goes, hey, excuse me, um, there are, are nine of us and I'm we'd really <laughs> like this entire row. Do you mind like going to an, and moving to another seat so we can have this entire row. And I was like, Oh no. I mean this, you know, I, I, I prefer this seat. He goes, okay, no problem. No problem. Goes away. Five minutes later, comes back. He's obviously been looking for another seat. He goes, hi, I just, you know, I I'm with a big party and we want to stay together. And I'm really, you know, I see several other seats, you know, I'm wondering if you could maybe move to one of them. I go, you know, I got here early because this is a seat I wanted. And I got so, long legs. Yeah, I'm going to stay here. He goes, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Five minutes later, he comes back and he goes, all right, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm with Marilyn Manson. And I go, not a fan. He goes, I get it. <laughs> like, <leaves. laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I understand. Break up. <laughs> I totally, totally understand that point of view. <laughs> and then you just kick your legs out like ah yeah, ah time to relax <laughs> there it is all right let me get my bucket popcorn and he's, he's ostensibly taller than me especially with those platform heels so you know yeah yeah dude dude he's, he's why he isn't he invited to the scream three premiere you know I, he's I like he's dating one of the yeah. cast members from the original scream i don't know was he who's he dating uh, what's her name 
Rose uh, McGowan. Rose McGowan. Rose yeah, McGowan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember when, dude, when she showed up in that dress with her butt out. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Just had a <laughs> just had a teenage moment right there. Big fan, Rose. She, she showed up the- with her butt out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ladies, you want to get a guy's attention? Show up with your butt out. You show up with your butt out. I'm telling you, you'll get Josh Adam Meyer's attention. That's that's the <laughs> surefire way into my memory bank. Um, you were talking about uh, the popularity and seeing this band yeah, i got a cool little fact as a sign of their rising popularity when violator was released a signing party for the fans at uh, a warehouse record store in los angeles oh, that was expected I remember to draw- this you remember this all right so i didn't expect- go but yeah this was a big scandal big so it was expected to draw only a few thousand fans ended up drawing around seventeen thousand. the band were forced to withdraw from the event due to security concerns and their early exit nearly caused a riot as an apology to those injured the band released a limited edition cassette tape to fans in la distributed through radio stations k-rock the sponsor of the warehouse event do you have adam while while i pull up and i and i do these last two reviews we do the uh, do you have like a maybe a news clip or something of that Oh, yes, yeah, I remember that. It. it was the warehouse, I think, at the Beverly Center. And I remember for weeks, K-Rock saying, like, Depeche Mode is going to be there doing a signing for the new record. I'm doing Richard <laughs> Blade, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, doing a signing for their new album. Come out, you know, and I was just like, whoa, that's so fucking cool. And and there were, there were I mean, I remember going to a lot of these K-Rock stuff back in the day. That's where I first saw They Might Be Giants was uh, the Flood record. Uh, mm-hmm. They put on a free show for K-Rock. And and I remember The Wonder Stuff did a free show for K-Rock and The Pursuit of Happiness. And so I would go to a lot of these, you know, like mid-afternoon K-Rock things. This one I didn't go to, and I was so glad because, like, it was such a madhouse. You'd be trampled. I mean, the warehouse is, a, like, you know, it's just a record store. It's, it's not like you know tower on sunset or anything it's just like a tiny record store at the beverly center and you know it's it's insane to think that they could have done a signing do you do you so you obviously were in la when the tower records was open oh yeah yeah was it was it just the place like was it like i mean because i remember the tower records in the in rockville maryland if you went Mm -hmm. there it was like the cool people were hanging out they had the city paper it was just this like vibe that was yeah see colin hanks's documentary about it i should i know i've been meaning to yeah, it really it's, just- it's, I mean, Elton John lived across the street, I think, at the Sunset Tower and basically would just go there on Tuesdays, new album release day, mm-hmm. and just like point at everything and order everything and order like 10 copies a piece of everything, you know? And, and who is this new Baja man? Who let the dogs out? (laughs) Who let the dogs out more like, (laughs) more like it. (laughs) Bernie, we should write a song about dogs. Can you they, they, uh, at the premiere of Colin's movie, they opened up the tower because it's been closed for a long time. Yeah. And they, uh, the Eagles of death metal played a a show. It was, it was pretty cool. That's badass. It's so funny about that's like the the Tower Records uh, is no more, and yet the building is still fucking there. It's still a Tower Records, nothing. yeah. They should just yeah, open but there's it back nothing up. in it. There's is there nothing in it? It's like a muse. I feel like it's a guitar museum now that Fender has yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then, but that, there's also like the Night at the Roxbury. There's that thing that's across from Pink Taco on like on Sunset Boulevard, right by the. Uh, the body shop. There's just that white. It's like, I never see anything in there. And yet that building is, is still there. I think that was the Roxbury, well, but also Devo's Devo studio, I think is there. It's that weird round building. Yes. I would always yes. pass that and go like, what is that? And then, then my friend was like, Oh, that's Devo's like 
recording space. Yeah, LA is a big place on like, yeah, let's shut this place down and then never put anything in it and just let it sit there and collect <laughs> dust so people can go, that was the fucking place and that dude, that, that shit. And everybody's no, it's like, al- it's always bizarre <laughs> on Sunset now because everything is built up to see like a tiny one story building yeah, there. You yeah, know, it's, it's like- definitely, definitely changed. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, here's a nice past album review. Tim Nicholson of Record Mirror was enthused by the stripped down quality of the songs and called the album a compromise between pop music and something a little more sinister, adding there are no noises out of place in this perfectly formed void. And Sal, I can't even say this dude's last name, of Slant Magazine called the album a quintessential benchmark of pop, rock, and electronic music. So that's basically going by some of the other shit that we read. Now, here is a nasty past album reviews and adam keep doing this keep getting us the bad ones because i like this uh music journalist uh robert christogal Christo, yeah oh you know him oh okay. yeah 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 good Christo, friend christogal no yeah <laughs> he's a bud uh he said that depeche mode conceded to fickle teenage demographics on violator and rolling stone magazine's chuck eddie said despite the album's ambient charm uh, David sounds slimy and self-involved, and in their attempt to make listeners dance, Depeche Mode revert to morose pop psychology and then never tell you how come they're so sad. And this this is, again, this is rock critics feeling like they can slam dance music because it's not respected, you know what I mean? And it's just like how wrong they are. And I would, yeah. I would probably say like all of these guys have changed their mind about the record, but it's, it's I think just, so. it's just how, when you were writing for a rock magazine, you were expected to talk about dance music. You know, you're, you know, the guys probably listened to it one time and were like, Oh yeah, just more of this shit. And then wrote yeah. a really snarky review. I think this is, I think this is a record that, you know, while it was appreciated in the time that it came out, I feel like this hits a It's still, dude, it's still, it feels so new. It still feels not every track, not every track. I can't say that because some of the tracks do sound very 1990s, but there are a lot like the hits on this record could, could come out now. And if a band that was now was playing, enjoy the silence, you would be like, Oh, this is a great song and it sounds current. And it sounds like something that, that I would listen to regularly. The drum sequencing doesn't sound really of the moment to me for the most part. Like that, that's what really dates kind of hip hop or dates dance music is like, Mm -hmm you fall into these traps of that's, that's honestly where Prince started to fall off is when he started imitating mid nineties, like drum sequencing. Um, but this, this, it doesn't seem like it's of the moment to me, you know, like a lot of mid nineties music, like, you know, trip hop and, and underworld and and stuff like that. They, they use the same kind of like beats and this, this really feels like every drum sequence was created for this record and not them just like finding a loop or something like that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Adam, do you have any listener questions or anything? Be here. And I have that news clip ready as well. Okay. Um, from the Patreon, JC Brookings, <clears throat> excuse me. I remember hearing a couple of these tracks back in the early 1990s when I went to the clubs, Halo and Policy of Truth for sure have a groove that is tough to not move to. And of course, Personal Jesus and Enjoy the Silence are iconic. So not a question, but one comment. Not, uh, who said that? 
Uh, that was J.C. Brookings. Ah, uh, J.C. Christ Bookings. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's a Booking. great name for an agent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like a personal appearance agent. No, dude, it's no. This is like if Jesus you're booking Christ pastors, Bookings. if you're booking pastors or ministers, welcome to J.C. Bookings, everybody. It's like we've got whatever you need here. Do you need a rabbi? Because we've even got one on. on what about retainer. a loyal? Can I interest you? <laughs> JC, thank you for sending in your thoughts on this. Uh, I love you, um, whoever you are. Um, All right, uh, play a little bit of that news clip and then we'll do rap and we're done. On the way, the band is called Depeche Mode, the latest postmodern group to retake the United States by storm. Tonight, thousands of fans jam the streets surrounding the warehouse music store across from the Beverly Center trying to get autographs. The private security force could not handle them all and police had to be called. 20 units arrived initially, but they haven't been enough. One person fainted after fans began to crowd in. She was taken to a local hospital, and police have arrested another person. These fans were going to almost any length to get a peek at their favorite rock stars, even climbing trees. But neighbors aren't thrilled with the group, the noise, or the traffic jams, and neither are the police. I think Depeche Mode is one of the most influential bands of the 80s, and they're going to look forward to the 90s because they use the most highest technology in music equipment today, sampling machines, Programming. <laughs> he's getting really specific about their <laughs> their he's equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, is he like a gearhead or a tech? Like he's, <laughs> he's dressed like them, but. Uh, By the way, that's such a that's such a terrible example of having to both sides every story. You know, it's like this was really popular but you know who doesn't like it our neighbors look there aren't any neighbors by the fucking beverly center like it's all businesses you know cedar sinai like there's some guy in like yeah. in like the trauma unit like oh god turn this shit down i'm just it's, trying oh, to be god. in my coma it's, every peace. single story in the local news is like well this thing happened but you know who doesn't like it is three other people that we've talked to <laughs> fucking gives a shit still they just look like some kids having fun going yeah. to see Depeche Mode Even, no, like I'm, all of the fans they don't look like typical goth weirdos either they're all like Orange County nice people with like big <laughs> giant glasses and you see the people who are even the people who are climbing the trees in that clip trying to get a, a glimpse of them they're like laughing they're like kids who are like they're having a good time is this is is and, and, and Adam maybe this is something you want to check is Depeche Mode the kind of band that like for some you know how like with Morrissey like there's like Mexican that like love Morrissey he's like if you go to a if you go to a Morrissey or a Smith or well, Smith not at all but if you go to a Morrissey yeah. concert there's a huge population of because he's so Latino. romantic yeah yeah Latino. is is there yeah. is there a big Latino like uh like fandom when it comes to Depeche Mode or is I that I don't know if it, if there's as much of a crossover as Morrissey it would be hard to have really as much uh, which I think is why Morrissey leans so hard into rockabilly in his later records too, is just because that's a very popular style of music with them. Um, but yeah, so I, I, there has to be a crossover, especially with how big, I mean, Southern California was the biggest market for Depeche Mode in the world due to wow. K-Rock. So they, they were the, that's why they were able to sell out the Rose Bowl. Um, and so... And that's the big, I think that's the biggest show they ever did was the Rose Bowl. So, you know, I mean, it, 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 and, and so there are so many different types of people who are into Depeche Mode where I was growing up, where it's Asian people and Latin people. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of crossover. All right, let's do uh, rapid questions. This has been so much fun, Scott. Seriously, this, yeah. I've had a blast, dude. All right. Uh, I think you mentioned it, but just say it again. Favorite track on the album. 
Favorite is Enjoy the Silence. Enjoy the Silence. Okay. Um, Least favorite track on the record. So I listen to it all, all the way through. And the (laughs) only one that I'm never like stoked the minute it starts, and I have an appreciation for it, is is Sweetest Perfection. That's the Really? Yeah, that's the only one where I'm like, this is great. It's just great. It's not Mm -hmm. like perfect. Okay. I, I, for, you know, I, I'm not going to disagree because I, you know, it's your opinion. You got to respect <laughs> your opinion, but it's, there's, it's, I don't know if there's something on here that I would really, I would really kick off. Let me look at the the tracks. Cause I think my favorite song it's, it's definitely between the three hits. I, I'm going to say personal Jesus, just because I've been, that's the one I've been banging out the most. I could say I could probably lose, uh, uh, blue dress i just thought it was a little pervy um <laughs> and then clean ladies show up in the dress with your butt out that's yeah, all show, you gotta say dude. in a song like this <laughs> pull the butt out i mean listen it's it's a it's i think there's i don't think there's really much that i would skip over maybe blue dress and even even clean even though i feel like it does clean. have that it does have that like pink floyd where uh, have you been he yeah, rhymes see, bean dude, with clean i i know yeah you know what like i do like those all right Fuck. Well, I'm, going, I'm going with blue dress. dress. I'm going with blue, blue dress. Oh, blue dress is great. I know, but you know, hey man, that's my opinion. <laughs> I get it. You, you you got off the one that I really like. All right. This is this is a loaded question because this whole album is made of these songs. What song on this record would you fuck to? I mean, this is the one you got this is the only song you get to fuck to. I mean, enjoy the silence is the one. I mean, you know, you're you're he's basically talking about holding someone and and you know, if you're unless you're doing it doggy style i think you're embracing usually when you're having sex you know so um so i yeah i'd, I'd still same answer dude i'm fucking to the song that you cut off dude i'm fucking to sweetest perfection Whoa. dude yeah well, that's, man. i mean it's nice to say like a song called sweetest perfection you can be like this is about you oh just doing one of these just mm-hmm. like it's a lot of foreplay and then I mean, i'm gonna waiting go- for the, waiting for the night is kind of like that's when I like to have sex usually. Yeah. So yeah, waiting for the night. I also like uh, if they had a song called Morning sex. Boner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be Morning Bone. So I'd start off with Sweetest Sweetest Perfection, and then I'd immediately skip and I'd double click on whatever. I'd be like, I'd be like, I don't want to say Alexa because she'll bleep. But then I'd then I'd go to World in My Eyes because that's what I want playing when it's like bam 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 I think I think the song that Bill Clinton would fuck to is probably Blue Dress. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, dude. <laughs> that's a joke from 1997. Hey, man, that shit's still good, dude. I mean, dude, <laughs> last week we did 10 minutes on Reaganomics, so you ain't got nothing hey. to worry about, dude. Um, all right, and last last question on this. Uh, do you think this deserves to be on the 500 Greatest Albums list and why? Oh, definitely. I mean, this is a genre, like I say, that's not taken seriously by critics, you know? Like Rolling Stone especially is like everything is has got to be rock based practically you know um or singer songwriter based so yeah I, I i mean for me in the style of music that's my favorite style of music which is basically alternative rock from the late 70s till now this is you know one of the best albums of all time yeah i, I couldn't agree with you more man I, I really think that once you listen to this record you see the influences of of that it's that's that it's touched on the artists that are out now uh, I still think it's current, like I said. Um, and and I really, I hate even saying you have to skip over anything because I think this is damn near perfect. So I give this record 
4.5 fleeces out of five fleeces, which is a big one. A lot of fleeces. It's a lot of fleece, but this is, deserves it. It's, it's not, it's not a hundred percent. Cause there's, there's some moments in there that I, I wish could have gone maybe a little different or maybe there's, I wanted more of something and it didn't give it to me, but I was, this was a nice, this was a Marlboro red. It was a nice satisfying cigarette mm-hmm. after sex or a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so yeah, man, this, I listen, I'm excited to, to, to dig into more Depeche Mode as, yeah. as now I keep going. Check out Ultra. I'm I would give in. this 4.8 fleeces, and if you were to swap Sweetest Perfection for Dangerous, the B-side, I would give it five, probably, because then every single song would be would be uh, great for me. Good. Dude, you rule. Uh, promote away. What's going on with Comedy Bang Bang? Anything you want to promote, please? Yeah. Um, so I started... Uh, uh, you have a Patreon, and this is sort of our, our subscriber-based... Um, uh, platform, but it's called cbbworld.com or Comedy Bang Bang World. And it's essentially um, all of the Comedy Bang Bang episodes uh, from the past, plus ad free versions uh, f- that come out every week. Um, they're all there, plus um, every live episode we've ever done. There's like over 100 of those. Um, plus, um, we're doing new shows. We're doing Andy Daly has a weekly show that he's doing. Um, I have a, a new weekly show where I watch movies that I've never seen before and we talk <laughs> about them. Um, plus we have something called CBB Presents, which is characters from my show have their own shows. Um, plus uh, Freedom is going to be on there, which is a different podcast that I do. We're, we're doing ad-free uh, Freedom on there. So it's like, it's basically for people who really like Comedy Bang Bang and who want to spend a little more time. I'm personally curating all of the stuff that's on there nice. so that... If, if it's on there, people know it's good and um, it it doesn't get lost in like, you know, the internet basically where like nothing can be found because everything is there. Because everybody's looking at butts and dresses. Yep. That's what, butts that's out what the internet's, butts, butts out and dresses. dresses and everybody, butts in and out. Butts, that's yeah. what everybody's turned into. Everybody check out uh, everything that Scott does. I mean this, dude, when I say this, like this is, you're the reason, the, and this discussion is the reason I do this podcast. I had a blast, man. Thanks, Thank man. You. This is really good. I love talking about music and uh, you you do it well. And, and Adam, you know, you, you said like a couple of things, but, but they were good. But the 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 chat has been just blowing up, and <laughs> he's I've been, killing it, dude. He's, I wish people could see the chat it dude. As, as much as as listening to Josh as well. <laughs> um, dude, fantastic. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Scott Ackerman, guys. Follow him on all social media at scottackerman.com, S-C-O-T-T-A-U-K-E-R-M-A-N. And go to his website, scottackerman.tumblr.com. And for everything we talked about with the Comedy Bang Bang, all that exclusive content, go to comedybangbangworld.com. For listener shout out this week, I want to give a shout out to Grace Smith 72 on Instagram. Grace has been a fan of mine since the Crab Feast days, follows along with the podcast. I love you, Grace. Thank you for being uh, a listener and a part of the Fleece Army. Once again, follow her at Grace Smith 72, G R A C E S M I T H 72. And now. 
We just listened to Depeche Mode from 90. Here we got listener submitted Matt Henning. It's Asheville, North Carolina based band Bruschetta DeLorean, which he says incorporates all the dark synth pop vibes you'll hear from Depeche Mode. And you're listening to the song Fall Apart off the brand new album Patiently Waiting the Apocalypse. And you can find all the links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. Thank you, Matt, for sending in this song. I want to help your band. I want to play your music. If you guys uh, want your music featured on the 500, send us your song to 500 podcast at gmail.com. Put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Uh, next week, it's Moby Week. As we go deep into uh, the album play. Do your homework. If you want to fall down, fall down Don't pick yourself up and stay on the ground If you want to be real, be real No one can tell you what you should feel If you want
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Next Chapter Podcasts.